0: Revelation 21, verses 1 to 6. There I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride Beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. When we see the depth of sin that inhabits the human heart, uh, the breadth of suffering in this world, it can be hard to retain a sense of hope. But as Billy Graham once reportedly said, I've read the last page of the Bible, it's going to turn out all right. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John spreads before us a hope to which we can cling in the darkest night of the soul. John's uh, apocalyptic is one of the most powerful pieces of literature ever written. He embroiders his pictures with threads that are drawn from two and a half thousand years of revelation. These threads aren't dusty relics from a bygone age, but the central concerns of the human heart. Charles Taylor recently opened his monumental book A Secular Age published by Harvard University with a discussion of the the human desires for spiritual transcendence a desire he describes as a powerful intuition that in some activity or condition lies a fullness a richness a state wherein life is more worthwhile more admirable, more what it should be. Taylor explains that religious experiences can help define a direction to our lives. But the sense of orientation, he says, also has its negative slope, where we experience, above all, a distance, an absence, an exile, the nostalgia for something transcendent. There is an existential thirst in the human heart that only the spring of the water of life can slate. Taylor returns to this theme towards the end of a secular age, noting the need for meaning, a desire for eternity, and concluding that while culturally speaking, there are strong incentives to remain within the bounds of the human domain, yet the sense that there is something more presses in on us. The Bible likewise begins and ends with spiritual desires. It opens with God desiring to create the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1 crowned by the creation of humanity in his own image. The phrase, the heavens and the earth, is simply the Jewish way of saying the universe. John uses this phrase to tie together his threads of allusion in Revelation 21. These threads bind together uh, the present world transcending trajectory of biblical prophecy, and the promise is the fulfilment of those transcendent desires of the human heart that are discussed by Taylor. So we are made for a relationship with one another, uh, the world around us, in the context of a relationship with God. A relationship that has God in the place of highest Worth. We are designed for a life that worships God. And yet, God made us free to disrupt this natural order, free to reject Him and to foolishly seek fulfillment elsewhere. As Peter Kreeft warns, an idol is anything that is not God but is treated as God. Any creature set up as our final end, hope, meaning, and joy. Since an idol is not God, no matter how sincerely or passionately it's treated as God, it is bound to break the heart of its worshipper sooner or later. You can't get blood from a stone or divine joy from non-divine things the Bible reveals a God who calls humanity to choose life Deuteronomy 30.19 in line with God's design who reaches out with forgiveness who has always planned to renovate the heavens and the earth around Christ and a humanity who have freely chosen to be in Christ Jesus Romans 6.11 this community of the redeemed has chosen to be sanctified by the power of God's spirit so that in the new heavens and the new earth they will love God with all their heart and mind and strength and their neighbour as themselves Revelation 21 offers a foretaste of this cosmic consummation prophet Isaiah, reporting the words of God, says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. And again, as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord, So will your name and descendants endure. For Isaiah, this talk of a new cosmos and a a renewed Jerusalem was really a metaphor for the restoration of Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. John takes this metaphor for the end of captivity and makes it into a metaphor for the beginning of an entirely new mode of history. See Christianity was founded upon Jesus' resurrection from the dead and as N.T. Wright puts it already by the time of Paul the resurrection of Jesus was not just a single detached article of faith it's woven into the very structure of Christian life and thought informing among other things the future hope both for humans and for the cosmos Jesus' resurrection wasn't a metaphor for some post-crucifixion revival of faith on the part of the disciples, as some have thought, but a description of something that happened to the corpse of Christ, something that left among its physical mementos not only an, an empty tomb, but a broken loaf at Emmaus, footprints in the sand by the lake, and so on. Paul, an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus, discusses the nature of resurrection in his first letter to the Corinthians around about 54 AD. The body that is sown, that dies, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised A spiritual body. In the words of Wright again, the new body, though it certainly will be a body in the sense of a physical object occupying space and time, will be a transformed body. A body whose material created from the old material will have new properties. Paul believed that the non-physical spirits of the Christian dead are currently with Christ, Philippians 1.23. But he looks forward to the Lord's Day of Judgment, wherein he says, we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. The spiritual body is physical human nature transformed by God to fit life in a cosmos without sin. John highlights this absence of sin when he says, there will no longer be any sea. In Jewish thought, the sea carried connotations from pagan mythology about the forces of chaos. Moreover, the sea plays an important part in the symbolism of Revelation. Out of the sea rose the wild beast, Revelation 13.1. The purple-clad Babylonian Babylon sat enthroned upon many waters, Revelation 17. The troubled sea of evil which cannot rest and casts up but mire and dirt, another reference to Isaiah, is no more to be found in the new heavens and the new earth. So 2 Peter describes the day of judgment thus. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Uh, Here the imagery comes from the process of obtaining pure copper or silver by smelting ore at high temperatures. The metal, now liquid, flows to the bottom of the furnace and the remaining matter, which is called slag, floats to the top whence it is skimmed off and removed, purifying the metal. Christians, and the heavens and the earth with them, are to be refined, purified by the fire of God. At our request, God will remove the flag of sin from the cosmos in order to create the new heavens and the new earth. Thus, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome... Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not of its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So Jesus' resurrection supports the Christian hope in a future resurrected world built around flourishing relationships purged of sin. This is what John means by a new heaven and a new earth. The new spiritual life of which the resurrected Jesus is thus far our only advanced sample. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, says Paul. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. John's holy city, the New Jerusalem... Represents a community whose transformed spiritual status is from God. This spiritually renovated community is the Bride of Christ, the universal church of those in Christ. The loud voice from the throne is the voice of Christ, our spiritual bridegroom, calling us to trust Him to carry us across the threshold of eternity and into the new heavens and the new earth, into a life that is more worthwhile, more admirable, more what it should be. Thanks be to God.